1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber today about the US football team six days away from the start of USC spring football. I do apologize, I am still a little bit under the weather, but wanted to get another podcast out. There's a lot of stuff going on, getting ready for spring ball. Uh, we know the actual spring um, schedule now. We should have the roster and all that kind of information coming out soon. Of course, USC basketball, we can talk about that. So lots of stuff. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or just go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from there. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, TuneIn Radio, a lot of ways to consume the show. And thank you so much, very much, for doing that. And let's bring in uh, our buddy Dan. Uh, what is up, Dan? We're counting down the days to spring football.
0: Boy, I can't wait! It's been a—I uh, don't know what—seven weeks or something. It seems like, you know, I mean, the unfortunate part of that Rose Bowl is you didn't want it to end, <laughs> and you just wanted to keep playing uh, the way that the way that went. And so, you know, you—I'm glad spring ball seems a little early i don't think it's any earlier but it just seems like it it's getting here pretty quickly so uh so that's neat uh and you know i mean all the buzz i mean you hear i mean when was the last time you hear the all the stuff coming out of the combine in indy is that the one guy they want to talk about isn't even going to be there because he's just a redshirt sophomore quarterback at usc and that uh you know, uh, Daniel Jeremiah is reporting that that's all they want to talk about is Sam Darnold, because they they're watching film of other guys in games against Sam Darnold, and they go, oh my gosh, you know, it's a year when there's not a lot of quarterback you know possibilities, and then uh, and then USC keeps seems to keep edging a little bit higher and higher with the pundits and and the Vegas guys and all that and. So uh, it's one of those uh, we can't get enough football soon enough right now for USC fans. It's like that hope is is this the year we come back? Is this the year you know we get over? You know you had the false hope in uh, 2012 that went so badly, and so is this the year that uh, USC returns to where USC fans?
1: Uh, think USC, uh, belongs. The, uh, you mentioned the Sam Darnold stuff, which is pretty funny. So I, I get up this morning. I think Daniel Jeremiah tweeted that around like 6.30 in the morning. I just happened to be up and I caught this tweet right when he sent it out. And, uh, this, it's pretty funny. So it's a guy, you know, Sam Darnold's getting ready for USC spring football, yet he's the talk of, <laughs> of the NFL combine, which starts on Friday. And he, you know, he was talking to an, I think an NFL GM or something mm-hmm. who said, you know, everywhere you go, that's the guy that they're talking about. Now, USC has eight players at the combine, but you know, so when you see tape, a lot of times Sam Darnold is included in that. And like you said, some of the opponents of USC, you see Sam Darnold, uh, didn't make USC fans all that happy on Twitter, Dan. There's, there's some of those fans yeah. that are like, Hey, shouldn't Sam stay for three more years? Which they're delusional fans because that's certainly not happening. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it yeah, didn't, it made people a little upset.
0: Well, you know, I mean, Yes, he's been kind of lucky. I mean, uh, you know, Barkley stayed for a senior year. Uh, Leinert stayed for a senior year. Uh, Carson Palmer wasn't in that position. Uh, uh, I think he was like the 20th-ranked quarterback in his senior – going into his senior year when he wins the Heisman. But uh, to this point, uh, USC basically – the quarterbacks have stayed. So, goodness gracious, you can't even imagine you know, that – that he could stay for his actual senior year. But I think USC fans would be, be happy with that fourth season. If he stayed for his red junior year, they'll, uh, they'll be happy to let him go after that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, buzz that's building around, uh, around Sam is, uh, kind of like nothing we've seen. I mean, for one player at USC, um, uh, and it's it's the kind of thing, you're hearing it from everybody. You're not just hearing it, you know, you're hearing it from, you know, people in the SEC and you're hearing it all around. You're hearing it from UCLA people. I mean, they, you know, they're no longer uh, trying to say they've got the best quarterback in town and all that. And when we say the best quarterback in town, this is what's so weird. Sam Darnold really will be – in a town that has now two NFL teams, Sam Darnold's going to be the most famous football player in LA, <laughs> LA next year. I don't know, man. Philip Rivers.
1: Philip Rivers does a lot.
0: Philip Rivers is good, but he ain't going to be as famous in LA as <laughs> Sam Darnold.
1: That's true. If yeah. they
0: walk into a room, if they walk into a room, Sam Darnold will be the one people are going to notice first. Yeah. Uh, really, I mean that's just. I mean, I think Matt Leiner had that a little bit just because he hit in a year where everybody was down and they didn't have NFL back. And it was one of those years where he legitimately was the most famous athlete in L.A. for his, you know, going into his senior season as the Heisman, defending Heisman guy. But, uh, but to have, you know, a town with two NFL teams and the number one football player is, the red shirt sophomore at usc it's just it's just you know something we haven't seen much of
1: yeah you never thought it'd be better than a josh rosen or a you know anyone in the nfl but uh that's certainly certainly the case that's pretty pretty amazing that he's the talk of the nfl combine we'll see we'll see how the usc trojans do this weekend uh in the combine so make sure you check that out a bunch of guys you can follow um Let's get to the questions, Dan. And I apologize. So I didn't bring my uh, iPad, which is what I use to play voicemail questions. I forgot to bring that in the office today. But we did get a couple of voicemails from Paul in Central Virginia, and they both were about the same thing, uh, both asking about place kicker Michael Brown. Um, so if you want to maybe kind of give your thoughts on USC's kicking situation. He said, you know, if everything he saw or he read about was before he redshirted. What he, he wants to really know what he looked like last year when he was redshirting and wasn't playing. He looked like a freshman.
0: You know, he looked like uh, he did pull a muscle. I mean, I'm trying to think what, what muscle, what, what did he pull? But anyway, he was out of action for a little while. Uh, got a strong leg. Uh, I think he was anxious at times. Uh, you know, maybe tried to kick it maybe before it was there. Just the whole, you know, getting comfortable, getting relaxed you know, fitting in. I mean, I think as it turns out now, USC is very fortunate that they scholarshiped him a year ago. And I know people at the time question where, um, you know, why would you give, you know, a kicker a scholarship when you've already got one punch scholarship, that kind of thing. But yes, he'd be kind of hurting right now because we really don't know what the, you know, situation going forward is going to be for Matt Bormeister, you know, is this something that can be resolved in the spring? Is it something, you know, hangover in the summer? You know, is there a possibility for, you know, some sort of resolution, you know, in his favor by next fall? We have no idea. But if that were the case, you know, you'd be going without a kicker, without, you'd be, you know, having triads because uh, it just, not exactly you know you can recruit somebody in in, you know late January uh so so having him here and having him had uh, a year of of you know practice and and they go you know kind of semi-live when they go uh you know when they do when they do field goals for example and they get a rush and uh they'll alternate between Bormeister and Brown and uh you know I, I just think it was the kind of uh, experience you expect for a freshman. I think he's got a pretty good leg, uh, uh pretty good distance kickoff distance. I mean, I think USC got used to having a guy drive the ball into the end zone. And I think on balance, that's a far better thing to be able to do than to try to directionally kick it, you know, short of the goal line uh, you know, to one of the, you know, the pylons. So I just think, um, I think he's got a chance to be that guy who can drill the ball into the end zone regularly. Uh, but, uh, but I we'll have to see. I mean, I, I think, and I mentioned on one of the posts today, uh, this is how, this is why they practice. This is why they have spring football. This is why they work out in the summer. This is why they're going to be, you know, going out it next August to get you to the point where, um, where you're able to contribute, uh, it took Matt, you know, Bormister a couple of years to, to get to the point where he, you know, could contribute and be the difference, for example, in the Rose Bowl. And so I think, uh, you know, Michael Brown is in that position and USC's in a fortunate position that he's had, you know, all that opportunity to work with the holders, the snappers, and, um, uh, well, there'll be a new snapper too this year. So, uh, there's going to be some work, uh, you know, that needs to be done this uh, spring. And then they've got three months through the summer until, you know, August gets here to really, you know, and that's the stuff you can work on on your own. And it's, it's great to have a scholarship, you know, caliber athlete to be able to do that with. But, uh, but I think he's got a shot, you know, to be somebody that will win football games for you.
1: Let's go to Tarek. He wants to know who do you expect to emerge at left tackle, considering Chuma Doga will likely play right tackle. It's
0: a really good question. Uh, I, I just I don't know that we know. I mean, I think there are all kinds of you know what. It, I know Toa said that, for example, he's not going to be cleared totally until after spring ball. But he will be able to snap. Uh, do you get a sense of he goes to center, Nico goes to, you know, left tackle? Uh that would be one way of doing it. Or, you know, does Toa go to left tackle? And I know there, are, you know, people who contend that he'd rather be, you know, guard or center. Uh is Chris Brown uh you know, suited to play outside or is he really uh is he a guard? Um I just I think there's going to be some, you know, mixing and matching uh, and, and see, you know, what, what works the best. Uh, but I'm not I probably not that position is really going to be hard to guess because again, Toa's not going to be here uh, you know, competing fully in the spring. So I don't know that they can do the, you know, the complete mix and, and match. I know the the one guy who they who T Martin went out of his way uh, before the Rose Bowl, to say had shown up in the two weeks previous, you know, prior practices was uh, Roy Hemsley, who looks like he should be able to be a player. I talked to Roy a little bit about it. And he said he would finally realized how physical the game is at this level, and if you're a big guy who's you know been able to, you know, survive on just being a big big athlete, uh, that's no longer good enough. And he said he. It, it all clicked for him so and the fact that T picked him out and said he's really uh shown up the two weeks of bowl practice makes him say well we'll take a look at him and you know which side i don't know for sure uh and i don't think chuma is absolutely locked in to right tackle either uh so i just think that offensive line you're going to see a lot of a lot, of, a lot of moving around, and uh, and that won't be solidified until pretty well into August, I wouldn't think.
1: Yeah, that's my guess, too. Um, that's what Springwell's for, like Dan said. Uh, Eric in Duck Country had a question. Do we know which region new running back coach Delan McCullough recruited for Indiana? Does he have strong ties in areas where USC isn't recruiting well? Thanks, as always, Eric in Duck Country.
0: Well, I think the thing he gets credit for, for example, he uh, recruited the, uh, the Howard kid who was such a you know, great rookie year at the Bears, and that was a kid that lost his scholarship uh, at, when university, UAB, uh, Alabama-Birmingham, dropped football. So I think he, uh, he, he got him. I think he was, and you know, that he also recruited the next kid, uh, whose name uh, escapes me at this point, divine somebody who's going early to the NFL this year, who was from uh, uh, Delan McCullough's hometown of uh, Youngstown, Ohio. So, obviously, he played for the Bengals. He was a seven-year, you know, coach and administrator and principal at a high school in Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, that's territory USC seldom you know, recruited in, um, I mean, we had, we, I'm trying to think we, I'm saying we, for Kentucky purposes, uh, uh, oh gosh, right. Uh, Lamar Dawson got him out of, uh, uh, right outside of Danville, Kentucky, where he was the Mr. Football in Kentucky. And I know there was one player they recruited out of, uh, Louisville Trinity, but otherwise, and they they did show up at my high school, Cincinnati, St. Xavier for, uh, a really good linebacker about three years ago, maybe. And he went to Ohio State. But USC's had really little recruiting presence in the Midwest. So I don't know if that will be, uh, you know, a place that we'll talk to, you know, DeLand when he gets on board, uh, a place where they'll say, hey, you know, a lot of football players there, if we can find one or two. Uh, we could turn him loose on on, on those guys, but, but I don't know exactly because they recruit they don't just, just recruit territories you know, they recruit offensive guys recruit one way and defensive guys recruit another way and some of it is positional and some of it is you know, I mean USC, you might have uh, Team Martin recruiting a defensive guy just for, you know it makes the most sense, and so I don't think they, you know, will necessarily lock anybody into uh, an absolute territory recruiting.
1: Yeah, um, and USC tends to do it by position anyway, and we've definitely seen uh, that to be one of his strengths. So uh, that should be should be interesting to see where he fits in uh, with all of that.
0: Yeah, my guess would be wherever there's a running back that they're interested in, he's going to be recruiting them. Yeah, would be my guess because of the way. He developed, uh, you know. I mean, you're going to want him to be able to tell that story of of the three straight guys that he's put in, Kevin Coleman, uh, for starters, into the NFL in recent years that have have done. You know, or that we're we're assuming uh, this uh, Indiana tailback this year, who's going to the combine, leaving early, uh, will be a third one. But uh, I think they would want the land to be able to tell that story. To anybody he's
1: recruiting. Um, okay, Dan, I don't want you to be alarmed. Uh, we have a couple basketball questions. So that's, uh, Oof. um, we need some kind of alert. Uh, yes, people want to know about the basketball team. Uh, Earl of West LA said, after watching USC lose in the final seconds to Arizona State Sunday, I couldn't help but think the loss of six veteran players from last year's team had a direct impact on the outcome of the game. In spite of the success, this team has had this year, there have been been critical losses where depth and maturity affected the final score. I was wondering if you had any further insight on why so many players left the program last year, uh, Earl and West L.A. So he's blaming it on the players that already were gone.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think it, it helped, but by this time of year, as unusual as, you know, when you have six of your 12 guys, don't come back. All six who could have come back, uh, yeah, that was, that was uh, uh, pretty unusual. And not with a sense of exactly what was going on. Uh, and yet, they run off the first 13 games. Boom, you know, 13-0. and 0. And now they're 8-8 eight and eight in the uh, Pac-12. It, it more looks to me like you get into the Pac-12 where teams scout you, where teams know what they want to do to stop you, uh, where teams, you know, where the game really matters. They just don't, you know, and you're not playing everybody at home or on neutral floor, you know, courts. And, um, and I, I think as unusual. And I think those six guys, you know, a couple of them, did they get talked into going to the You know, NBA, uh, uh, Julian and Nicola, uh, did they want to, you know, was it school? Did they say, you know, I'm ready to go out. I don't need any more school. Uh, I'm going to take my shot. Uh, for other guys, was it a case of, wow, they keep recruiting. There's not going to be a place for me to get any minutes on the floor, so I'm going to go. Uh, you had, uh, you know, uh, Reinhardt goes to Marquette, where he's had kind of a similar season where he can have some hot. Hot games, and he won you know I guess one big upset, and I'm trying to remember who it was that where he just went crazy off the bench uh, but I don't know that there's a single reason that you could say those guys left, but by this time of year, that you should not be losing games to inferior teams at the end when you've got everybody back I mean they got boat right back now uh and i I think it's interesting. You know, they put the ball in Boatwright's hands. I, I mean, I'd rather have Boatwright catching the ball and being fouled, and and be the guy shooting free throws instead of. It's like, well, we don't trust anybody else other than Boatwright to throw the ball in bounds, and then that you know that didn't work out so well. Um, but Earl, there is something is not right for the that kind of a meltdown. That that probably, you know, you're playing a bad team. Uh, an underwater team that can't play defense. Everybody knows Arizona State does not play defense, and they hold you without a field goal. They hold you to one point in the last four minutes, outscore you 12-1. to I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's just total lack of poise and focus. It's carelessness, the turnovers, not to get a field goal in those last four minutes, hit one free throw. Um, there are so many things that went wrong. That if I had to put a list up, you know, having those six guys gone, yeah, it would have helped to have Julian Jacobs on the floor probably. you know, I don't think there's any question about that. But uh that wasn't why they lost that, that game. Didn't help. I mean, but uh no, uh, there were a, a lot more uh specific reasons why they lost that game.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean you're twenty something games in this season. Like that's that's long that's long gone. Um this is another kind of question. This is John in Oakland on basketball. Seems more like from a football perspective, but I'll read it to you. He says, hello, Ryan. I love the podcast coverage and insight into USC sports. And I have a basketball related question for you and Dan. It's been said that to be a great team, you have to play great teams. USC's men's, USC men's basketball team had a rather weak out of conference schedule this year. I'm a supporter of coach Enfield and believe long term coaching uh, stability is more important to building a winning program. But so is top talent. My question is, who is responsible for the week's scheduling? Is it Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan? Do you think the program would be better off scheduling top mid major schools like Gonzaga or St. Mary's and traditional powerhouse schools like Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, etc.? Would this approach to scheduling aid in attracting more four and five star players to USC? Best regards and fight on John and Oak, uh, Oakland.
0: You know, I'm not sure about the tracking more player, you know, four and five stars. I mean, I think they're doing pretty well recruiting. I mean, I think y- you can hardly, uh, you know, where is located, uh, I mean, clearly Southern California is uh, the hotbed of high school recruiting. I mean, I think the, there was a, uh, the two, uh, uh, CIF games, the doubleheader played at Gale on last Friday with, with, uh, uh, Cheeto Hills and modern day. And I'm trying to think of the team from out in the Valley that has the number one kid in the country. You had three of the top, like seven high school programs in America and they can all, you know, bust into the game. Uh, and so uh, you should not need, it shouldn't even matter who, you know, what your schedule is. Uh, I think you can uh, cross Pat and Lin Swan uh, off the list of people who are making the basketball schedules. Uh, that uh, <laughs> That's not happening. uh I do think I think Andy has tried. I think the problem they had this year is some of the really good teams. I mean, I think you know, from what I understand, they really tried to get a game with Kentucky, and they were willing to even you know they didn't have to get a return game. And I think Kentucky didn't want to play them. And if I looked at USC's talent, I mean, maybe a little hesitant as well. Uh, now they did play, uh, Southern Methodist, the ranked team who's, you know, really well coached and played strong all year long. They played, uh, they played BYU, uh, at the, uh, at Staples Center, a BYU team who just beat Gonzaga. Yeah, I like your idea. I think, uh, St. Mary's and Gonzaga would be a couple of teams I'd really, I'd really try to get, you know, in some kind of, a you know, uh, either relatively neutral game, I mean, those teams, uh, I mean, one of the negatives is both of those teams get into LA every year in their schedule. So they don't absolutely maybe want to come to LA as much as maybe some other teams who recruit here and don't, don't get into LA. But that's a good idea. I think uh, if I were, if I were them, those would be, you know, two of the people I, I, I I'd definitely try to, you know, arrange some kind of, you know, um, you know whether you can get you know some kind of a tournament situation together do you go in with ucla on that wooden you know tournament and uh or wooden classic whatever and try to get somebody to come in and play you on a a neutral floor like an anaheim or or staples whatever uh but uh but i don't think i don't think the schedule it wasn't great but it was i mean there are worse there are Big programs playing worse schedules uh so you know it wasn't the worst uh, worst schedule uh that you'll ever see
1: we got a couple more Dan and the, these are more of the uh NCAA uh variety and people just seem to love to talk about that stuff still um so we I said them for the end so if you if you hate hearing about this kind of stuff because we get we get people that like always want to hear about it and then other people like I never want to hear about it so sorry we get the questions and we're just trying to answer them. Um, AGW wrote in, he had a two parter. He said, what do you think it would cost USC to buy out the PAC 12? And then after McNair finishes, uh, whipping the NCAA, does USC maybe go to the NCAA and say, uh, no lawsuit, but get us out of the PAC 12 at no cost to us. <laughs> That's AGW.
0: Uh, you know, something's going to have to happen about USC and the PAC 12. I mean, um, uh, I was use the example. Uh, now that the Big Ten, with the way their networks going and the way their TV, te- and they're going to renegotiate their TV contract twice, between the time USC got that what was the groundbreaking and everybody said it was the greatest thing in the world, they will have renegotiated their TV contract twice before the USC or before the Pac-12 gets renegotiated in twenty twenty four twenty five, and it looks like right now there's a good chance if you're the University of Illinois or Rutgers, in the next eight years before something new comes to play for USC and the Pac-12, those two schools will each take in something like $200 million more over that eight-year period from the Big Ten than USC will take from the Pac-12, that's just unacceptable. I mean, it's like 200 million dollars is like real money. I mean, it, it's like you know, in the SEC, you're going to be talking about 120 to 150 million for each of their teams, more than each Pac-12 team. What the what the Pac-12 was trying to do hasn't worked. The network hasn't worked. The distribution hasn't worked. Uh, the increase in dollars, just it's just not there. there. There's almost no, you know, they're very little, you know, a million dollars a year uh, compared to, you know, where it's just going off the charts in the big town, the FCC. So uh, I think, and I asked Lynn this the other day, and she didn't have – Nobody seems to have a really good answer, but USC I think is gonna have to take the lead. They're gonna have to be the ones that that start making some moves. Uh I don't think it's uh unrealistic to think that what most people think that, you know, in you know, the next decade there will be four, sixteen team uh super conferences. You know, basically right now you've got a sixty five team uh uh you know, power five group. Well, that'd give you the sixty four. You'd have an east and west division or a north and south division in each of those conferences, eight teams. When they play their conference championship, it will be in effect the first round of an eight team playoff. But it sure looks like it's going that direction. And I think, you know, there may be some tough times for some of these teams in the Pac twelve. I mean do they all survive? You know, they all make it to the 16 team super conferences. And if so, how does that all play out? And who orchestrates that? Because the TV dollars are not just going to keep increasing and increasing and increasing, which everybody thought was just, you know, TV programming, the best TV programming for the best demographics is sports. And it's live and you've got to you know, you got to watch it. There's nothing, you know, it doesn't do you much good if you save the game till next week, like other programming. So, uh, and then all of a sudden, you see ESPN losing millions and millions and millions of subscribers. They're not going to have the money uh, to keep pouring in extra dollars, big, big extra dollars. And, and maybe it'll be a case of a few programs and a few conferences get the big bucks and the rest get less. And, you know, in order to give big bucks out to the big conferences, they're going to have to take the other conferences way down. That would not surprise me if that happened. But, uh, but, you know, I think USC will take, you would hope they would take any creative ideas to maybe be able to say to the Pac-12, things have to change or else. And how that plays out the next few years is going to be a pretty interesting story. Uh, I mean, one encouraging thing is that Lynn does have an extensive uh, sports TV background and an extensive list of contacts and people in the industry. And I just think USC is going to have to be very creative in how they get to where they need to be they want to be one of those teams that, as Lynn has said and, you know, Clay has said, and all the fans believe is that they should be in the running, in the hunt, in the mix, you know, for the national championship most years. Well, you can't do that if the University of Illinois is getting, you know, $25 million a year more than, than USC. It makes it really hard. So something's got to happen. All suggestions are welcome. Yeah. <laughs> for what, what USC does and where they go and how they get there.
1: Well, we got one last one for you, Dan. Um, John in Pasadena, bear with me, it's a little long. Uh, I don't know how timely it is, but I'll read it to you. It's, it's his question. One of the many frustrations I had with Pat Hayden involved him not lifting a finger when the BCS Bowl Championship Committee was considering vacating USC's 2004 BCS Bowl Championship, which USC won after defeating Oklahoma in January 2005. Like the Associated Press, who awards a national championship trophy, the BCS is not part of the NCAA. While they're obviously influenced by NCAA procedures and rulings, the BCS's decision against USC was purely discretionary and made at a 2011 committee meeting where Pat Hayden was a no-show. But I remember Hayden effectively telling the BCS their statements in the media to go ahead and take away the trophy. Hayden was wrong to not stand up for USC and did a great disservice to the university. There's a big distinction with the 2005 season games being vacated as Reggie was receiving some benefits from the rogue agents of 2005, but not during 2004, as the NCAA ruling to uh, vacate the last game of the 2004 regular season against UCLA was based upon nothing but malicious spite. Uh, USC should get the 2004 BCS trophy reinstated. What do you think, Dan? Can something be done? This would be a great initiative for Lynn Swan. I also checked in the 2004 team captains were Matt Grudegood, Sean uh, Cody, and Matt Leiner. Maybe this could be a cause uh, they can take up as well. Whew, John and Pasadena.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's a great point. I don't disagree with anything you said. The issue would have to be, uh, USC. uh this is where it's been, say you, you got those three guys and said, come on, let's make this a, a, a case for all you and your, you guys and all your teammates. You need to have USC behind you. You need to have the power of USC, the, uh, you know prestige the uh you know everything that usc stands for behind you they would have to say this was you know this was done out of spite this was virtue signaling in the worst way and god only knows if you know usc wasn't virtue signaling signaling as well uh, yeah well, we're we were bad boys and you know and that was just done maliciously uh, uh obviously they've never you know they've never taken a Heisman trophy away from anybody they've never taken an, an a, you know a national championship away from anybody like that and here they go because they could take their shot at USC and it didn't look like USC was resisting or saying this is not fair there wasn't anything you know that remotely uh r- required USC to lose that that uh, that championship and uh um and now obviously you know the NCA's decision making is so called into question and so corrupt and so not to be believed uh i think usc ought to answer both of them back uh at this point uh you know any place you know any real court of law that the case would be thrown out if they if you found the prosecutors colluding and making up evidence case gets thrown out i mean and, and one would love to see usc now that they've made the six billion dollars and they got it early in their campaign for usc and they're extending it you know they're extending it for another three billion for three more years i'd like to see them i think it actually would help their fundraising if they made a stand and said you know with the mcnair case coming up uh, for trial Uh, in the near future, and we say near future in this case, another year and a half is probably still the near future, uh, to coordinate it, you know, with that, uh, and say, look, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna defend our good name. We're gonna, we we got railroaded. We didn't realize it at the time. Now we do. Um, and the NCA better make good. And, and one of the things the NCA ought to do is remove all the asterisks from the media guide. Reinstate Reggie Bush, uh, uh, and then and then make the case where the NCA is required to write a letter to the BCS saying we call into question our own. You know, this is after the trial, like you said. You know, after the trial, we call into question our own, and that ought to be part of this some way. You wish USC could get in on <laughs> on the trial so that they could you know say. Part of the settlement ought to be that the NCA has to apologize to USC and has to put in writing to the people affected that, that these things should be reinstated and that they got it wrong and they made it up. And um, they're sorry. And I think it's a great idea, and I'm all for it.
1: Well, Dan, great stuff. Uh, questions all over the place? you got the current football team and spring practice starting, but people want to talk about many other things, too. Uh, we'll see the basketball team tips off. We're taping this in a couple of hours, so uh see if USC can take care of business against Washington State at the Galen Center and then Washington a little bit later on. Um, and then, of course, the Pac-12 tournament, uh, where they'll likely play like a Washington or Oregon State in the first round. Um, but, yeah, the NCAA stuff. always Always interesting questions here people are sending in.
0: Yeah, well this is a perfect week where you can go in every direction. Next week uh we're looking at football. We'll have uh well, we have it depends on what day we do it, but maybe we will have at least one practice in the books and uh and we can talk about that.
1: For sure, yeah. Tuesday, Thursday practices. Was it 3:15, I think they said?
0: 3:15. And then yeah, like 11
1: 11 on Saturday?
0: No, 10. 10 o'clock 10 on sorry. Saturday.
1: Um they're all open to the public. Um so yeah, if you want to come out Uh, we can't really talk to you if you come to practice. We can talk to you outside, but they, they limit us. They put the, the media, uh, I believe, I think it's on the north side of the Goo Gate, and then the, and fans and family go to the south side of Goo Gate. So we're not allowed to, to mingle with you guys, but, uh, maybe before afterwards. Or with the
0: families, or with the family.
1: Yeah, yeah. They put that in there. We're We're not allowed to talk to them. We're
0: in the media pen, as we call it
1: they're very worried about things that I don't know if you should be worried about, but it's, it's funny. Any, any, any outside media person comes and they start questioning like, why do they do this? And like, yeah, we don't know. They have just been doing it for a while.
0: Really for the yep. sense of
1: sanctions, you know?
0: Gee, this they, have been gone for,
1: I think a while. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard <laughs> to remember. But that's how this all kind of started. So, um, but anyway, great stuff from Dan Weber. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Again, apologize. My uh, voice is not the greatest, but, Hopefully feeling better by the time spring ball rolls around and we'll, uh, we'll be rolling and, uh, do some more. Might do one more podcast this week if we get Gerard on talking recruiting. Not exactly sure, but we'll see. We'll play it by ear. Uh, but if not, we'll talk to you. We'll certainly talk to you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Peristyle podcast.
2: Transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at Michael Moline Real That's Michael Moline Real Estate.com.